Good morning. I'll be reading uh, Romans 4, 1 through 5. If you're using the uh, red Pewback Bible in front of you, it's page 941. Romans 4, 1 through 5. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Brother Larry Russell mentioned that beginning this morning and for the next three weeks, well, the next two weeks after today, we're going to be involved in a sermon series called Right With God. All the lessons are coming from the book of Romans, and here's how it's going to unfold. This morning, we're talking about Romans 4, next Sunday morning, Romans 5, and then May 29th, the third Sunday morning from now, the second Sunday morning from now, uh, Romans chapter 6. So Romans 4, 5, and 6 on Sunday mornings. And then on Sunday evening, when we come back together at 5 p.m. this afternoon, Romans 1, and then Romans 2 next week, and Romans 3 the week after that. The reason for this is it's good for us to go back and appreciate what God has done for us in saving us from our sin. It's kind of like opening the hood of your car. If you know what you're looking at, there are a lot of things under the hood of your car that are kind of peripheral and they're important, they're essential. They can't, your car can't do without them for very long. But what we're doing when we look at the book of Romans is we are looking right inside the engine itself. We are looking inside at the components that are turning and that are moving and the things that, the things that bring us into a right relationship with God. That's what we're looking at in the book of Romans. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, open to Romans chapter four, and we're going to look at verses one through 12 in our study this morning. I won't be covering all of these chapters as part of this particular series, but we are going to talk about some of the essential concepts that every Christian needs to appreciate. When we start talking about salvation, and somebody asks the question, well, how are you saved? A New Testament Christian might answer, well, you believe in Jesus Christ and you confess his name, you print of your sin, then you're baptized for the remission of your sin and that's how you're saved. But Romans 4 deals with a little bit different aspect of that question. When we ask the question, how are you saved in Romans chapter 4, he's not saying everybody needs to repent and be baptized. That's true. But the question is approached from a different perspective. The question is, what exactly happens between me and God so that God can say to me and can say to you, you're right with me. What exactly goes on in that transaction? This week, uh, Daniel, my son and I were driving through a, a drive through at a fast food restaurant and I had a $15 gift card. And so I gave the gift card, you know the people that come up to your window now, you don't talk to the speaker. And I gave the gift card to the lady there and, and she swiped it on her machine and the, the bill that we rang up was $15.35. And so she swiped my $15 gift card and she said, okay, that'll be 35 cents. And in my car, I had a quarter and a dime and I gave them to the lady and I thought her head was going to explode. (laughs) 
She had no idea what to do. I've, I've got 35 cents here, take it. And she didn't know because the transaction doesn't happen that way. You know, she's, she's not somebody who's taking and giving money and change. She just swipes cards all day long. And, and I thought about that as, as relates to this lesson because there's a transaction that happens when we are saved, when we're justified. And to think about and understand how that happens is really, really critical for us as Christians. How does God make a transaction where I can be right with him? And here's the problem to introduce the study. Here's the problem that every one of us has. We don't measure up. We are not qualified to be righteous. Just as a couple of illustrations, when I was a kid and would go to the amusement park and every roller coaster at the amusement park has a height limit. And when I was really young, I used to go to the amusement park with some friends of mine and we had about four in our group and one of our friends was vertically challenged. And we couldn't ride with our friend the big roller coasters because if you're not this tall, you don't measure up. You're not, it's not safe for you to ride this ride. Or if you're a fisherman, you like to go and fish, there are size limits for certain species of fish. And even if you've caught a fish, and maybe that's the only fish you've caught today, if the fish does not measure up, if it's not long enough, or in some cases, if it's too long, it doesn't measure up. It's not the right standard. You can't keep it. You've got to throw it back. The game warden will arrest you if you don't, or fine you if you don't uh, pay attention to the law. Or there's this, maybe you like to bowl. Bowling is a game where the highest possible score is 300. And I found this online. It was kind of impressive. Somebody had online in an online bowling game, they had bowled an almost perfect game. They bowled strike after strike after strike until they got to the very, very last part of the 10th frame and they rolled a nine. And so their game was a 299 instead of a 300. You talk about frustrating. But see, that's a picture of your life and mine as well when it comes to sin. We don't measure up. There is sin and there is unrighteousness in our lives. And the standard that God has set in his word is that if you want to be right with him, you must be perfect. You must be perfectly righteous. You must keep his law perfectly. Allow me to illustrate it this way. If you've taken my Romans class, you've seen this design before. There are two systems of justification that are mentioned in the book of Romans. The first is called being justified by works under a system of law. Look, if you would, at Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And then if you look down in verse 4 of Romans 4, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. He's talking about this particular system there. And he's saying, if Abraham could be justified by works, then he could brag. If, he's, if he rolls a 300 in bowling, or if he's tall enough to ride the ride, if he measures up, if he has kept all of God's laws perfectly, then Abraham is righteous. But the problem is that nobody measures up. Galatians 3.10 says this, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things that are written in the book of the law. God has given us his law, then the Bible. And the Bible says our obligation, our task, our impossible thing that nobody does 
is for everybody to go through your life and to live and to, and to keep every single one of God's commands and never, ever, ever choose to do the wrong thing. Never choose to do that which violate God's will. But if you do, even once, you fall short. Or another passage, James chapter two, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Even if you're a really good person, even if you bowl a 299 with your life, it is still not a perfect life. It's just not. You are by definition a sinner. You are by definition lost. You are by definition unrighteous. You are guilty before God. Even though your life was very impressive, even though you rolled a 299 in bowling, you're still not perfect. And that's the point. If somebody is going to be saved by a law of works, by justified by works, according to Romans chapter 4, they must keep a perfect score. And there's only one alternative, brothers and sisters and friends. The alternative is I can choose to be justified by faith in which God does for me and does for you what we cannot do for ourselves. When we're justified by faith, we say this to God. We say, God, I cannot save myself. I need you to do it for me. And the way that God has saved us, the way that he has provided a savior for us is to put Jesus on the cross. What we just contemplated during the Lord's Supper was the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus that were offered in our place. And God looks at us when we put our trust in him to save us and he says, because of the cross and because of Jesus' sacrifice, I can look at you, John, and even though you haven't rolled a perfect score in bowling, even though you're not tall enough to ride the ride, I can look at you as if you are. I can look at you as if you are righteous, even though you're not. Those are the two systems of justification of how God saves us. Either you do it yourself by keeping a perfect score or God does it for you through what Jesus did at the cross. With all that in mind, let's turn our attention to Abraham. If you're looking at Romans chapter four, verses one through 12, Abraham is the illustration that is used. And here's why. Abraham is one of the most important characters in all the Bible. His name is found in 27 of the 66 books of the Bible. Abraham is everywhere. Abraham is the guy that the Jewish people looked at as being their father, their progenitor. Abraham is the father of the Hebrews. In fact, when they were talking to Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse 39, the, the Jews said, Abraham is our father. He's the one we look to and he's the one that we're proud of. And we want, we want to be identified with Abraham because we think that's how we become the people of God. And what Paul is doing in Romans 4 is saying, wait, not so fast. The people of God have to do with those who live by faith and put their trust in God to save them. That's what he's saying in Romans chapter four. So he's illustrating, how was Abraham saved? Under which of these two systems did Abraham find his salvation? That's the question on Paul's mind as he begins this particular section. With that in mind, let's look at a couple of things about Abraham in the first place. In Romans chapter four, verses one through four, Paul argues that Abraham was not saved by works. Look again, if you would, at verse two. If he had been saved by works, Paul says, he could have boasted, but not before God. 
When I was a kid, I played video games, my brother and I, and we subscribed to Nintendo Power Magazine. Those of you who may be my age, you kind of, okay, maybe not. (laughs) Nintendo Power Magazine was a magazine for those of us who were gamers back in the 80s. It's been a while. And it would come to our house every month and kids like us who would play video games, if you got a high score, if you got a perfect score on the video game you were playing, you could stop, pause the game, take a picture with an actual camera, not a digital one, and mail it to the magazine and they would reprint your score and you could say, I got a perfect score. And you know, my brother and I would read that magazine, we would just be so envious of these kids who were scoring millions of points at these games we could barely complete. And, and it was just amazing. They could boast and boast and boast. And what he's saying about Abraham in Romans chapter four, verse two is, if Abraham lived his life perfectly, then Abraham could boast just like those people that got the perfect score in the video games and say, I scored a perfect score. But the problem is everybody who's read Genesis knows that Abraham was not perfect. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife, remember? In Genesis chapter 16, Abraham conceived a child with Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, because he didn't believe that God was really going to provide him a child of promise. In Genesis 17, 17, Abraham, not just Sarah, but Abraham laughed at God when God said, you're going to have a child. Abraham laughed just like Sarah did. And then in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham sinned again by lying about Sarah being his wife. If you've read Genesis, honestly, every Jew would realize there's no way that Abraham could have been saved by works because Abraham did not keep a perfect score. Abraham did not keep all of God's commandments. Abraham sinned and he was lost and he needed somebody to save him. And so the argument in Romans 4 verse 2 is if Abraham had been saved by works, he could have boasted but not before God. And then it says in verse four, watch this, if Abraham had been saved by works, his wages would not be counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if somebody is gonna try to keep a perfect score and go before God on the day of judgment and say, God, I kept a perfect score, no longer is salvation a matter of grace. God's not giving you something that you don't deserve. That's what grace is, God giving me what I don't deserve. My salvation rather is debt. God says, all right, You kept a righteous life, I owe you salvation. But nobody does that. In fact, if you're reading Romans back in chapter three, Romans three, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. In Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody sins. We choose to sin, we deliberately do it. We know it's wrong, but we do it anyway. And Romans is saying, Once you make that decision once, you're unrighteous and there's nothing you can do to undo it. Sidebar for just a moment. There are people who say, you members of the churches of Christ, when you preach that baptism is essential for salvation, you're preaching works salvation. You're saying that you're trying to be saved by works and that's why baptism is not necessary, they argue. Can I just make this point? There is nobody I have ever listened to among churches of Christ that has stood up in the pulpit and said, baptism is essential to keeping a perfect score with God. And that if you'll just be baptized, then you'll measure up. 
If you'll just be baptized, then you will have kept a perfect law of God in every aspect. Nobody preaches that, nobody teaches that. Baptism is an obedient response of faith in accepting that we can't save ourselves, but it's still essential. It is essential because God has stipulated, this is how you receive the gift. This is how you become a Christian. It is not works salvation. It is accepting the gift by obedient faith that God has set forth in his word. Nobody who has been baptized can go and say, I have earned my salvation. I have kept a perfect score. That is not what baptism does. And that's not what Abraham would have done either. So what did Abraham do? Abraham fell short, he sinned a lot. And yet the Bible says he was righteous. How did that happen? Look at at this secondly, the Bible says Abraham was saved by faith. Look at Romans chapter four, verse three. What does the scripture say? And the apostle here writing by inspiration quotes from Genesis chapter 15, verse six. The scripture in Genesis says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What that means, brothers and sisters, is this, that Abraham believed that God was able to do what he promised. When God said he was going to deliver Abraham, he was going to make Abraham righteous. You'll just put your trust in me, Abraham. I will do this for you. Abraham believed God's promise. And in believing and obeying God, it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. In other words, Genesis 15 verse six says that rather than falling short, God did for Abraham what he could not do for himself. God is the one that made Abraham righteous. And it was by his faith, trusting God to do what he could not do for himself. The scripture declares it, Paul writes. So these Old Testament Jews that are, that are talking to Paul and arguing with him about how are we saved and how does God save us, it's not about the fact that you physically descended from Abraham, it's about a question of, have you done what Abraham did? He believed God. Notice in verse five of Romans chapter four, but to him who does not work, but believes on God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. What Romans four verse five tells us brothers and sisters is this, when we admit to ourselves and to others that we can't save ourselves, and that's a pretty tall order, can I just put that in there? There are a lot of people that think they're perfect. There are a lot of people that refuse to admit that they're sinners. There are a lot of people that refuse to admit there's anything wrong in their relationship between them and God. There are a lot of people that look at their lives and they say, well, I'm doing better than most. You know, I'm bowling a 290. It's not 300, but it's a 290. It's a pretty good life. And and there are a lot of people that will not admit that there's a problem that cannot be solved. But to him who does not work, to him who gives up on that and says, there's no way I can do this perfectly. I have sinned against God. I have offended him. I have offended other people and I need somebody to save me because I can't do it myself. That's what Romans 4 verse 5 is saying. When you say to yourself and you say to others, I need God to save me because I can't do it for myself. I believe that God who justifies the righteous will justify me. His faith, that's what it says in Romans 4 verse 5, his faith is accounted for righteousness. 
God will do it for you and he will do it for me if we'll put our trust and our faith and our confidence and our obedience in Jesus and what he did at the cross. This is the nuts and bolts of that transaction that happens. I believe God, I believe that Jesus is enough. I believe that his sacrifice and his blood can do it and I can't do it myself. And therefore I want the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. And how specifically does this happen? Look at Romans four verses six through eight. It is by God's forgiveness. Just as David, Paul writes, also describes the blessings of a man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. He's quoting from Psalm 32 verses one and two. And he's saying, brothers and sisters and friends, listen, this is a blessing from God and he wants you to have it. It is the blessing of forgiven sin. Everything you have ever done, everything you will ever do that is contrary to the will of God can be forgiven. It can be wiped away. It can be cast into the depths of the sea. It can be removed as far as the east is from the west. God wants to forgive your sin and it's a blessed thing to have a clear conscience and to put your head on the pillow at night and to know God has forgiven me. He has redeemed me. It's a blessing to know that. That's what he's saying. And most people don't think about it. Most people go through their lives and they've got a guilty conscience and they know that there are some things that they, I got regrets, you know, Frank Sinatra regrets. I've got a few. But as we think about salvation, God is saying, this is the blessing I want you to have. And the only way you can have the blessing, the only way God will forgive our sin is if we trust him and stop trying to earn it for ourselves. Put our trust in what he's done and what the cross is and stop trying to make it up to God and stop trying to, you know, to, to, to achieve or to get another high score. Stop trying those things. That is not the way salvation happens. I forgive you, God says, when we put our trust and our confidence in him, I will not impute iniquity against you. I won't write it on your account because of what Jesus did at the cross. Abraham, brothers and sisters and friends, was saved by faith. And if you or I or anybody else is gonna be saved today, you're not gonna do it by keeping a perfect score. You can only ever do it by trusting in what Jesus did for you at the cross, that's it. And somebody says, okay, brother John, I've got an objection real quick. What about Abraham? He lived centuries, he lived 2000 years before the cross. What about that? How does the cross save him? Go back in your Bible very briefly to Romans chapter three and I want you to look just very quickly. Romans three, verse 25. Romans three, verse 25. He's talking about Jesus here in Romans three, 25. And he says, God set Jesus forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate, Romans three, 25, God's righteousness because In his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. The sins that were previously committed there in Romans 3.25 are the sins of the Old Testament believers. The people like Abraham who lied about his wife. God said, Abraham, I forgive you. And when Jesus went to the cross, the cross paid for Abraham's sins, just like it pays for ours. It just happened at a different sequence in time. Abraham was saved by faith. 
third this morning, as you look at verses eight through 12 of this passage, the conclusion that is drawn is a glorious one and it is this, everybody can be saved by faith. You can't do it yourself, you're not gonna make it yourself. You'll never measure up, you'll never be tall enough to ride the ride. But you can be saved by faith, you can be tall enough with the cross. How so? Look at what is argued in verse eight, in verse nine, excuse me, verse nine. It says, does this blessedness of forgiveness, does this come upon the circumcised, that's the Jews only, or upon the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised, because the Jews would make that argument, or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. His point is, Abraham was justified by faith before he was circumcised. Now circumcision was the mark of the covenant. It was the mark of being a Jew. It was the mark of being one of the people of God. But he's saying that Abraham was justified. He was made right before he was circumcised. And there is a reason for that in verse 11. The reason is so that the righteousness of faith that he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe Verse 11, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. What Paul is saying, brothers and sisters and friends, is that Abraham is the prototype. And the fact that Abraham was justified before he became, quote unquote, a Jew, before he became a circumcised individual, means that all of us Gentiles, everybody who's a Gentile in the room, all of us can be saved in the same way that Abraham was, by trusting God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And then he goes back in verse 12 and talks about the Jews. He also, Abraham is in verse 12, is the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but those who walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. What does that mean? It means that just being born as a Jew physically is not enough to save anybody. It means that if anybody wants to be saved, they've gotta be saved like Abraham. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're part of that original covenant or not, the way that you find salvation, Paul writes, is by putting your faith in God to do for you what you could never do for yourself. By saying, I can't save myself, I'm lost, I'm a sinner, and I need God to do for me by the cross what I cannot do for myself. Both Jew and Gentile alike. And it says in verse 12 that Abraham is our father when we live and walk like he did. Every year at VBS, we don't do it as much now as we used to, but every year at VBS when I was growing up, we sang Father Abraham. You know that song, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. That is a true Bible doctrine and it is really important. What it means, brothers and sisters and friends, is this. When you decide that you want Jesus to save you and you come to him in submissive, obedient faith, you become part of the family. 
You become part of the family. We become brothers and sisters in Christ when we put on Christ in baptism. We participate in the new birth. We are born into the family of God and Abraham is our father in a sense. Abraham is the first one who trusted God and lived by faith and was justified, Genesis 15 verse six, and we are descendants, we are children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody can be saved by faith. That's why we talk about fellowship and we talk about relationships and we talk about brotherhood because the Bible talks about it that way. It's a picture of salvation. God will save you from your sin. He will justify you. And instead of trying to keep a perfect score, what we do is we humbly submit to his word and do what he says. I accept the gift that Jesus Christ has offered for me. And here's how that happens. Listen carefully. The way that someone accepts the gift is by faith in Jesus. I believe he can do it. By repenting of my sin, I don't want to live a sinful, wicked life anymore. By confessing that he is God's son, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who ever lived a perfect life, and he's the one that can save me from my sin. And by being baptized in water for the remission of my sins, when we are baptized, we participate in that new birth. We accept that we can't save ourselves, that God's going to do it for us. And that's the moment, baptism, when someone becomes a Christian, when someone is justified, when God saves us. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe you'd like to ask for prayers. We always offer an invitation song at the end of every lesson. If we can help you in a public way this morning, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.